I'm one of your hosts, Mustafa. Sometimes I'm fairly called Moose. And joining <laughs> me tonight is Steve. Hey, how are you doing? And Mike. Hey, Mustafa. How's it going tonight? And Daniel. Hello, Mustafa. How are you? And Steve. Hey, how's it going, Moose? Hi. And Daniel. Hey, how are you, Mustafa? <laughs> hey, man. Hey, and Mike. Hey, good to hey. see you. A deja vu. All right. Okay. Uh, I think this is a bit of a teaser. We'll discuss those poorly understood characters, unfairly labeled villains, and their various plans to shape humanity, benefit the planet, as well as those so-called heroes intent on thwarting them. Welcome to issue 56 of Critical Encounters, a podcast about Marvel Champions, a living card game by Fantasy Flight Games. It was interesting, Mustafa, but I actually have a question for you. Yeah? What's on your mind tonight? Daniel, I'm glad you asked me that question. I'm always glad you asked me that question, but tonight you are I'm always a, glad. Yes, I'm tonight. I'm especially glad, as if I'm hearing that question for the first time. <laughs> and and the reason, Daniel, is because I'm going to have tonight's reading be some of the most beautiful words written in the English language. Are you ready? I am. All right. With apologies to the guy who actually reads these much better than I can on audiobooks. Time present and time past are both perhaps present in time future, and time future contained in time past. If all time is eternally present, all time is unredeemable. What might have been is an abstraction remaining a perpetual possibility only in a world of speculation. What might have been and what has been point to one end, which is always present. Footfalls echo in the memory down the passage which we did not take, towards the door we never opened into the rose garden. My words echo thus in your mind. Here is the place of disaffection. Time before and time after in a dim light. Neither daylight investing form with lucid stillness, turning shadow into transient beauty with slow rotation suggesting permanence. Nor darkness to purify the soul, emptying the sensual with deprivation, cleansing affection from the temporal. Neither plenitude nor vacancy, only a flicker over the strained, time-ridden faces Distracted from distraction by distraction, with fancies and empty of meaning, timid apathy with no concentration, men and bits of paper, whirled by the cold wind that blows before and after time. Wind in and out of unwholesome lungs, time before and time after, eructation of unhealthy souls into the faded air, the torpid driven on the wind that sweeps the gloomy hills of London. The detail of the pattern is movement as in the figure of the ten stairs. Desire itself is movement, not in itself desirable. Love is itself unmoving, only the cause and end of movement, timeless and undesiring, except in the aspect of time caught in the form of limitation between unbeing and being. Sudden in a shaft of sunlight, even while the dust moves, there rises the hidden laughter of ch children in the foliage, quick, now, here, now, always, ridiculous the waste sad time, stretching before and after. That was a bit long, but can I? Ask Dude, man, out? you need yeah. to prepare me for Elliot next time. God. Yeah, that was the first He's of the four quartets. Yeah. Uh, only the the beginning, a bit from the middle and the end. Uh, I consider them to be uh, among the best uh, best poems in the English language. Thank you for Burton Norton. Love it. It was excellent. It was timely. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Steve, why on earth is a poem like that so appropriate for tonight? Well, tonight we're going to start our series on Kang, our Ooh. favorite time-traveling villain. We're going to talk about Kang, Kang the Conqueror, Kang Rama Tut, and Kang Scarlet Centurion. So we're, we're going to dive in here. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about this. And then in part two, we'll discuss Iron Lad and Immortus. So strap in. Here we go. This is very exciting. Yeah, Mike, why don't you, uh, why don't you, you know, dive in? Tell, tell us what you know. All right, let's begin. So Steve's giving out the, the assignments this week, and he says, oh, Mike, what do you want to do? Do you want to do Kang? Sure, I'll do Kang. Little did I know that I was actually doing Kang and Kang and Kang and Kang and Kang. <laughs> so we have, we have quite the, quite the uh, origin story here tonight. I knew that you were going to get the big, <laughs> what I was doing. <laughs> Did you did you kind of look up in there and scream Kang? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I might have. Uh, so, oh boy, there's there's a lot here. So I think my strategy going into this was looking at the absolute origins of these characters, 
as well as stories that really highlight some of the cards that we see in the set. And okay. before we've done other villains, we've seen them be introduced and then fleshed out later because a lot of the villains went in the 60s and 70s. The, the big thing was, wow, look at this cool new villain. And they just kind of come out popping and you don't know their whole history until you know, the 2000s when they start fleshing them out. Kang's a little different. They actually went through a lot of his story early on. And about, maybe about for the first decade, they start setting up Kang and they start kiss, start setting up his alter egos. And it must have been awesome to read comics back then because they, the reader wasn't even let in all the time that these characters are one and the same. So it must have been these great aha moments like, oh my gosh, it's Kang. It's, it's him again. He's back. At a certain point, the story just kind of goes bananas with the time travel. So we're going to split this into two parts with the first half being pre-bananas and the second half being the post <laughs> <laughs> yes, we have no bananas. <laughs> or duty. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I know that was amazing. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh, there's a blast from my past. All right. Well, let's begin. Let's begin with Fantastic Four number 19 from 1963. This introduces us to Nathaniel Richards from the 32nd century. Hmm. Welcome to the 32nd century, where everything is peaceful and quiet, and there's love throughout the air. There's no mm. war, there's no strife, and Nathaniel Richards is bored. Well, he's on the love boat. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. But he does have access to all the records of the past, so he's watching the old movies, and he's seeing the old adventures. You know, the, the Fantastic Four, and Doctor Doom, and the Avengers, and it stirs up the adventure spirit inside of him. Okay, so, you know, dang, if only my life was like that. And through his watchings of Dr. Doom, he realizes, hey, this guy had a time machine. So he hunts down Dr. Doom's old schematics, which have survived, geez, what is this, like 12, 13 centuries now? 12 centuries. Uh, he manages to find them, and he builds a new one. Because Richards is a genius. That is his power. Of he course. is a genius. Yep, that's right. So he builds a time machine, and he decides to travel back to a time period that he loves, ancient Egypt, where thanks to his advanced technology, his power will be unrivaled. And with knowledge of the local superstitions in mind, he builds the machine inside a giant sphinx so that the locals will <laughs> see him land and treat him like a god. The plan, of course, works perfectly because villains are smart and their plans are airtight, right? Yeah. Uh, generally speaking, yeah. Yeah. So thus we have the origin of Ramatut. He appears from space, He's got weaponry from the future, and he cultivates a following. And this goes along for many years until the Fantastic Four appear. Wait, what? So you see, <laughs> one day, Richard Reed is brushing up on his Egyptology at a local museum, and he's struck by a gap in the line of pharaohs. And on further investigation, he finds some hieroglyphs. A pharaoh with no eyes, a vial with wavy lines coming out, and a pharaoh with eyes. These cause him to reason that, without a doubt, that's a quote, without a doubt, ancient Egyptians were able to cure blindness with radioactive herbs. And this wow. is, of course, hero logic, so what can you expect? Without this, a doubt, huh? Without a doubt. Well, he's a genius, right? Yeah. So the thing's love interest at this point is blind. So the Fantastic Four decide to rectify this blindness by traveling back in time. How? By borrowing Dr. Doom's time machine. So wait a second, wait a second. Somebody's blind, and the easiest solution they can come up with is borrowing someone's time machine to go back to ancient Egypt where they think ancient Egyptians had the cure for blindness, and it was radioactivity. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was definitely radioactivity. The hieroglyph That's, had wavy lines on it. That was yeah. pure genius. Pure genius. Now, Mike, you, you referred to the, tonight's stories as pre-bananas. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> that makes me think. I can't wait it's for the be bananas. A wild ride next week. Yep. <laughs> okay. Oh, my God. I'm already lost. <laughs> okay. So, so they borrow Dr. Doom's time machine, which is uh, hero speak for they stole it after they beat him in his castle's empty. And they travel wow. back in time to ancient Egypt, where they are immediately set upon by armored guards. Right. This takes them aback. They have weaponry they haven't seen before. And as they're fighting, they suddenly find themselves growing weaker, losing their powers, and they fall unconscious. 
They awaken in the throne room before Ramatut, who reveals himself to be a time traveler from the future, and the one who hit them with his Ultra Diode Ray. Ultra Diode Rays, as most people know, cause one to lose their superpowers. Handy. So, yeah. hey, why yeah. don't we have a card for that? Well, I think we do. <laughs> I, I think this is the depowered obligation or something similar. He has a, there's a few moments uh, in the comics where he does sap your powers, and this would be the first instance of that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. It would be nicer to have an actual card that, you know. Anyway, let's keep going. <laughs> I mean, it's a pretty nasty card in the set. You gotta give him that. Okay, so I'll quickly summarize the rest. You know, his downfall is that he neglects to notice that a depowered thing is a regular human and therefore skinny enough to slip his bonds. So, oh, yeah, side story. Apparently, when he, cra- he, he landed, there was a crash landing and he was blind and cured with radioactive herbs or something. So the hero logic was actually correct. There were radioactive herbs. Radioactive herbs. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, anyways, back to it. Read the story if you want the, all the details. The long and short of it is, Ramatut is ultimately defeated in battle, but he escapes in his time machine, but not before blowing up his secret lair, which is why no record of him exists in the current day. So that is as of 1963, when they wrote that. That is Ramatut. Now, eventually, an incarnation of Kang does come back. He's, he's bored with his later conquests and longs for the good old days. So he just comes back to Egypt and rules benevolently, kind of. And he, he come, goes back to his Ramatut persona. But that is where his story began. He's in his time machine. He jumps forward to the 20th century, where he's hoping to meet up with Dr. Doom. This is his first stop after being beaten up in Egypt? Yes, it is. Okay. Yes, it is. Okay. It forms a nice little arc, his first three personas. Okay, good. So he's beaten. He goes to the 20th century where he meets up Dr. Doom. Not going to go over that, but he gets a new set of armor, stylized after Doom's armor, and puts into motion a plan to rule the world. Of course. Can I ask a totally inappropriate question? Always. What does before and after mean in this context? Oh, boy. We're going to talk about time travel lore next episode. Okay, for, I'll, I'll, yeah. for now, I'll we're gonna, our... going to talk about before and after as in this Kang's timeline, which works in the pre-Bananas era. All right. So you would like us to suspend any disbelief? At the moment. Just consider the timeline from this Kang's perspective. Done. So we're going to skip ahead to 1968, to Avengers Annual Number 2, the first meeting with the Scarlet Centurion. So still in the 20th century, Kang begins to create an alternate timeline. uses his knowledge of history to make a series of minute alterations here and there that prevent the then-current Avengers lineup from forming. For example, Steve Rogers never makes it back from World War II. He then approaches the Avengers, now the original lineup, and I'm going to call them the OG Avengers. Like, this is day one Avengers lineup. Giant Man and all. How many were there? Oof. Oh, like six five or seven. Six, so yeah. something like that? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So he approaches those Avengers, and he offers them a proposition. He claims he has incredible knowledge to undo all evil and create a paradise that mankind deserves. Except there is a cosmic imbalance preventing such a future, and it's caused by an excessive number of super people. Well, that makes sense, that makes sense just on the face of it. Yeah, I think I can get behind that plan. Well, <laughs> not just you. The Avengers can too. Why? Because they are weak-minded buffoons. <laughs> <laughs> And okay, maybe he has some mildly hypnotic aura or something. They fall for his manipulations. And following his orders, they capture all of the other superheroes, one by one. Brilliant. They then go out and they capture the founders and the agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. This is really before S.H.I.E.L.D. becomes a really big deal. And after that, they start going after all of the rest of the supervillains, one by one. And finally, when... Well, hold on. Wouldn't it have been smarter to get all the supervillains and then all the superheroes? Uh, you'd think so. I don't know. I mean, I just feel like they like depleted their manpower and woman power and person power. Maybe he wanted the villains to, if anyone was going to be left, it's going to be the villains. Get rid of the heroes first? That's what I'd do. Yeah, then he could team up with any supervillains that uh, give him trouble. What was the average thwart ability on the original Avengers? <laughs> 17. <laughs> You're going to make me look at the original Avengers lineup now. <laughs> it was Iron Man... Hulk and and Wasp. I know whatever this was, Giant Man had, had joined. Yeah, I don't think Captain America joins right away. He's a nope. little later. Captain America is later, and oh, there's a couple of them that are later on. Yeah, and that's key. 
that's key for what's coming up. Okay. Okay. Sorry to interrupt. Keep going. So finally, when only the Avengers remain, the Scarlet Centurion says that soon the time will come when he will share his knowledge. There's only five more so-called heroes that they need to deal with. After some time machinations, and this is another story we'll just summarize here, the Scarlet Centurion pulls the current Avengers of the day that readers in the 60s would know about, the ones we all know and hate. He pulls them into this alternate timeline, and he pits the two groups against each other. He knows that the, we'll call them the real Avengers, he knows that their only hope of escape is Dr. Doom's time machine. So he splits the time machine into pieces and uses them as bait to lure them into ambushes with the OG Avengers. The real Avengers win. And the, the big thing is they know themselves more than the OG Avengers know them because the lineup is slightly different. Does that make sense? No. Like every, yeah, everyone that... knows how the OG Avengers fight. They know them. But these OG Avengers, they don't know. They don't know them for your future is. selves yet. Yeah, okay. I gotcha. So the real Avengers win, at which point the Scarlet Centurion reveals himself as the one who stalks the centuries. And Centurion. I like that. Yeah. And that this was his plan all along, which is unfortunate that his scheme is so low when you consider that this was all set up. Yeah, shouldn't his side scheme start with like 20 on it? Yeah. So the old Avengers lost because they didn't know as their opponents as well as their rivals knew them. But he also thought the OG Avengers were stronger. So he reasoned it would be easier to let the current Avengers win the fight and then defeat the new, the, the new Avengers, thereby becoming the undisputed power of the planet. Uh-huh. Yep. So he comes out fighting and we see him use more of his powers. Uh, he has a glove that allows him to shoot rays from his fingertips. Each finger contains a weapon that no one from this age can withstand. So he's got one with fire. He's got one that freezes Captain America in ice. I don't know if this is the origin of the Frozen in Time card or not, but it's eerily similar. And the, the art isn't exactly from that comic, but dances a little bit. So made me think about it. Perhaps an astute listener can shed some light on this. Ultimately, however, the Avengers are able to win by doing some time stuff with the pieces of the time machine. And they exile the Centurion from the timeline. And they themselves return home. Oh. Uh, yeah. He loses. He loses. I mean, it was a good plan, but... All right. We're going to skip ahead to 1964, Avengers number eight. Having been beaten now twice, Richards decides it's perhaps it's time to return to his original time and, and rethink his life choices. But time fluctuations from Dr. Doom something something timey-wimey cause him to overshoot by <laughs> 4,000 years. Oh, and he arrives in a barbaric war-torn future where tribes are clashing with each other. They're using this super high-tech technology. No one knows what the heck it is. They've long since forgotten how to create it. And they're just, they're just warring all the time. So apparently that peace in the 32nd century doesn't last to the 40th. Warhammer 40k here. We're, over here. We're at the 72nd century now. In the grim future, there's always war. There yeah. Yep. Now, I think this time fluctuation is probably explained later. In the comics, I have not gotten to that yet. Well, Mike, can I ask a question? Yeah. You said before this segment, jumping ahead, Avengers number 8, 1964. But the previous segment was 1968. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you're right about that. Yes. So yes. jumping it's ahead, I guess, in story time is different from real time, which is yes. even more meta. That's so fantastic. It is. Yeah. These characters are introduced not necessarily as Kang. Right. Oh, I see. Okay. Right. So I, I rearranged the story into Kang's timeline. Sometimes I wonder what they knew and what they didn't. <laughs> I want to know what they were smoking. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently we'll right. find that out next week. Yeah. Because there is radioactive herbs. <laughs> yeah, radioactive herbs. Yeah. That's go. all right. <laughs> I'm blind. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So by combining his own genius, because he's a genius, with this technology of the future, he creates a cult following. Easy. There's no Avengers. But it's an empty win mm -hmm. because the planet's dead, right? Oh. What is he the king of at this point? But now that he's armed with 72nd century technology, he returns back to the 20th century, this time as Kang the Conqueror. He lands and he gives the planet 24 hours to surrender and nobody can stop him. The army sent out to try to stop him. They can't do it. He's too powerful. Of course, the Avengers have to have to. 
we'll skip to the fight. You know, I don't have to spoil everything. Kang has a belt laden with buttons this time. Each one activates a fancy tech. He can send objects such as incoming hammers into subspace. He can generate an antimatter force field and create bursts of radiation. So we, we've seen his force field, the temporal shield is one of the cards we have. I believe this is possibly the first mention of that. Mm. The radiation is interesting. Because he is from the future, he is immune to radiation. That's the thing. Apparently sure. sometime between now and the 32nd century, there's an immune to radiation. Okay. So this is where we see him in his classic purple and green. However, once again, King is overpowered. And once again, he escapes into time. Hmm. His next move, well, he's Kang the Conqueror now. He is going to conquer other worlds and come back to Earth later. And we'll talk about that later on next week's episode. Did you tell us why his name is Kang? No, I actually do not know why his name is Kang. <laughs> because his name ah. isn't Kang. No, it's Nathaniel Richards. There's, yeah, there's, I feel like there's a gap there. <laughs> Nathaniel Richards <laughs> is an anagram for Kang. <laughs> if you just rearrange the... But yeah, no, doesn't work. I okay. Don't, okay. don't think so. <laughs> well, it does if you redefine anagram, <laughs> which they did in the 32nd century. Yeah, right. you could just go back to the whatever. Okay, sorry. Every time he travels through time, a letter from his name falls off, and he's left with only four. Hey, if someone out, well, out there knows, please shoot us please. a line, right? Because there's a lot of Kang in the 60s and 70s, so. Yeah, very easy to miss something. That's a really good question, though, Mustafa. Sometimes I have them. Why is he king? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's the first question I should have tried to answer. Wow. Maybe well, it was, like, the, his dog's name, and he really liked it? Like Indiana Jones? Maybe so in the 60s, that's what they called Veed. <laughs> Kang? Radioactive herb was called Kang. Yeah, maybe. Maybe the good quality was called, you know, Kang. Give me some Kang, man. <laughs> I'm totally sure that's it. It is now. <laughs> it's as good a guess as any. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, that was very informative, Mike. Thanks. Uh, Thank you, Mike. And it was less confusing than I thought it was going to be. Wait to till start next week. With. Yeah, okay, <laughs> to start with. <laughs> Shall we look at some of the cards then? Well, let's do let's. Not. All right, so what we're going to do is we're going to look at Kang 1 Kang, and Kang 3. We're also going to look at Kang Ramatut. And King Scarlet Centurion. We'll talk a little bit about the expert cards. We'll look at some of the, the schemes that go with those, but we won't get into any of the set. So, Mike, why don't you uh, why don't you start us off here with you know Kang the Conqueror? Oh, sure, Kang the Conqueror, level one. He is a villain, of course. He has the temporal trait, as the best villains do. He has one scheme and two attack toughness, and a forced interrupt when he attacks. Play either place one threat on the main scheme, or he gets plus two attack for this attack. When defeated, advance the main scheme to stage two at the end of the phase. I guess you say he has 12 hit points per player, and his expert version, his attack is bumped up to three, and he gets 15 hit points per player. So on stage three, you get Kang 3, which has you know him in badass artwork. He has two scheme, two attack uh, at your basic level. The same toughness, same forced response. When defeated, the players win the game. In the expert version, he has three scheme and three attack, and 25 hit points per player as opposed to 20 hit points. Woof. Yeah, big hit point pool. Steve, why don't you give a little rundown about how Kang plays? Yeah, okay. So Kang's a little different than our previous villains. The Kang 1, whether you're playing non-standard or expert, you're going to have Kang 1 out, and you just have to defeat him. Punch him in the face as much as you can. <laughs> uh, and when he is defeated, that's when the players will advance not just to a new king, but to a new scheme. So we'll want to look at the main scheme as well to make sense of this, which is a little different than the other villains, because usually you defeat you know, level one, and then you move on to level two, level three, or whatever it is. This one, we're going to increase the scheme as well. We're going to advance to a whole new scheme. And that's going to bring out our level two versions which we'll talk about. Why don't we read the um, opening main scheme before we get into the t level twos? Mustafa, why don't you read the main scheme? Kang's arrival. Main scheme. 1A. Contents Kang 1, each Kang 2, and Kang 3. 
Kang and standard encounter sets. One modular encounter set recommended is temporal. At setup, set each Kang 2, Kang 3, and Kang's Dominion side scheme aside. Remove each player's obligation cards from the game. Shuffle the encounter deck. So already it's different in that normal obligations aren't going to be as part of the encounter deck. And it's talking about each Kang 2. And when you've done that, you flip it to Kang's Arrival 1B. Seven scheme per player will trigger it. Kang believes that by defeating Earth's mightiest heroes, the rest of the planet will submit to his rule. Yeah, maybe a modification of that plan. But anyway, <laughs> when revealed, each deal each player an encounter card. If this page is completed, the players lose the game. Starts with no scheme on it and then increases by one per player. Kind of plays like Arkham in a sense, where you have two goals going on. You do want to flip, but you don't want to flip on the agendas time. Yeah, so you still lose. Kang can still scheme out, and you can still lose. Yeah. At, yep. Even when you've got Kang 1. And he Kang 1 can kill you, and you can lose. Right. But And the only way you advance is by defeating Kang 1, either on standard or expert. And that'll advance the whole story, um, which which I like. It, it's the a little two. bit different. Yeah, that is very different. Daniel, why don't you read us Scheme 2? It'll make All more right. sense. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say that would. All right, the Master of Time. It's the main scheme 2A. Kang reels back, but he saves himself by separating the heroes through time and space. When revealed, place one acceleration token here for each side scheme in play. Then discard each side scheme. Each player reveals a random stage 3A in turn order, removing the unused stage 3 schemes from the game. And that flips to 2B, Master of Time Mame. Force interrupt when an acceleration token would be placed on another scheme, place it here instead. And here's where it gets wild. Players cannot join this game area unless there are no other game areas remaining. When all the players have joined this game area, advance to stage 4A. So what does game area mean, Steve? Yeah, I should have my little book with me. So those of you who have played Lord of the Rings, living card game, may remember long ago a quest called the Foundations of Stone, where halfway through or somewhere at some point, every every one of the team is split up into their own game areas. And this one does that kind of thing as well. So as soon as you beat the first king, he separates the heroes into different staging areas. Um, yeah, and it's really exciting. You're all alone. And then when you beat yours, you can go join someone else's that's still struggling. If anybody's struggling, of course. Yeah, that it, it happens. Right. I actually have a, a couple of comments. The first is you place an acceleration token here for each side scheme in play, which creates this little metagame where you want to get rid of the side schemes first before advancing. Yep. Sometimes yep. you want to, and sometimes it may not be the best idea, but it just throws something else in there that's kind of neat. But I also have a rules question. When 2B, if there's an acceleration token, does it affect the other staging areas? No, it does not. No. Any acceleration tokens that end up on 2B, it's kind of like a holding pattern for them. They will go from 2B to 3 when you move, and that's when they'll kick in. Or uh, to 4. To 4. They go to To 4. I'm sorry. Yes, to 4. Because 3 is all your areas when everyone's split apart. Yep. Yeah, so when we do advance to that 2A, and it says we're going to reveal our own 3A in turn order. That's where it gets a it can get a little tricky. I love how so everybody gets their own play area and cannot interact at all at all with any other player. Cards that say, I don't know, every player does this or if Daniel asked to use Moose's helicarrier, <laughs> uh, can't do it. Just doesn't yeah. work. So I think that should be able to transcend space and time. I, I knew there was a reason I liked Kang. Just for um, his <laughs> yeah. So, but here's my question. Does this make solo play a little less exciting than it would yeah. otherwise be? I think so, but... Unless you're playing two-handed. You still get a random Kang 2 each time, or you could just say, oh, I'm going to play this one, then this one, then this one. So you still get that neat randomness, but you definitely lose out on the watching your allies struggle against their own king and trying to join them and that sort of thing. 
we have all these players in separate staging areas or separate play areas now. And you want to be able to know what your play area is and you want to know how to join the rest of them, right? Yeah. So, so why don't we look at King twos and the side scheme twos? Sorry. Three. I don't look at. Yeah, it, it's confusing because it's Kang two, but it's <laughs> scheme three. <laughs> yes. I could just name them the same number. And then we can talk about how we how we're going to join each other's play areas and get back together. So the realm of Ramatut is a 3A. It's going to be one of the ones you set to the side. So you're going to randomly uh, choose it. And it says, when revealed, create your own game area and place this scheme in it. Add Kang, Ramatut, to the game area and deal yourself an encounter card. That's something we never touched on before, that all these deal you an encounter card. It's a nice touch. Yeah, they're, they're ready for you when you get there, I guess. Yeah. Yep. All right, 3B has... Ooh, uh, that's a good one. Just like he was ready for the Fantastic Four. Yeah? No, I see. Yeah. 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 All right, so it has a, <laughs> a nine-threat threshold with the force response. After this stage is completed, place one set aside King's Dominion face down under stage 4A. At the end of the phase, remove King Ramatut and this stage from the game and combine your game area with another game area. If all the players at this stage are defeated, this stage is completed. It starts with one threat and it goes up by one. Not one per player, just one. It has a static threat where, where it tops out at nine, not nine per player. And it goes up by a static number. So we've got static on both parts. So I think that, that makes sense. It keeps it they have not to having to deal way. the math, yeah. do any extra math. Otherwise, it's never it's not helpful to join anybody. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah, it'd be worse. Sorry, I made it worse for you. I'm here to help. <laughs> Two things are going to happen for the players when they're at stage three. You have your own king, which we'll read, and you can defeat that king in order to clear your stage, your your game area, and move on and join somebody else. Or you could die, and then you're out of the game. Or your scheme, this realm of Ramatut, could advance could hit that that nine and then you're going to join another game area as well but you're adding a king's dominion side scheme to the to the future king is going to get more powerful later right. on which i think is brilliant i think it's yeah brilliant. they even tell you in the book they give you a little strategy tip that says like uh, don't die <laughs> instead <laughs> let your scheme max out Right, you're better off letting your scheme max out because then at least you're still playing. Game doesn't end if the stage is completed, but your game ends if you die. So, I, I like that a little bit. Well, let's hear about Ramatut. Let's go back up to Ramatut, who runs this realm of Ramatut. Mike, why don't you take it? Because you're the you're the kanger. King Ramatut version. His basic level has one scheme, two attack. He also gets toughness, of course. He's king. Temporal traded. When he attacks, he's got a special star. This villain gets plus one attack for each obligation in play. But Mike, you told me to get rid of all the obligations before we even set up. Oh, but this deck is full of its own little kangy obligations, like frozen what? time and yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. No, not frozen time, like depowered. Oh, it's so good. So well, yeah, I mean, he did all these like depowering things to the Fantastic Four. Yeah, sure, it makes sense. Mm. Plus one attack for each obligation in play. When defeated, you remove the realm of Ramatut from the game. At the end of the phase, at the end of the phase, so not whenever you want, into the phase, join another game area. Okay. And his expert version has two scheme and three attack, and has twenty-two hit points. His basic level has eighteen hit points, which is still a lot for one player to get over. That's good. Quite a bit. Yeah, all of his levels um, too have a fair bit of hit points. So what I like when you uh, beat him up and join someone else, you join them at the villain phase. Oh, yeah. So, so it's really, that's kind of neat that yep. you show up and kind of make it harder a little bit initially, right? You're each getting a card. and Even when you start, you can't, when you defeat Kang 1, you don't advance right away. You also advance at the end of the phase. Mm. So you do not get yeah. first hit. Yeah, and the same goes for the side schemes. If If that 3B advances... Mm -hmm. you'll move on at the at the end of the phase as well. But that actually might be in the hero's favor then. Yeah. Because that'll probably advance in the villain phase, after the villain phase. Yeah. A tricky protection player or a character who has retaliate might defeat this, this version of Ramatut 
during the villain phase and then will join another player at the start of the player phase, right? If Ramata has one hit point left and you retaliate for one during the villain phase, that, throw, that throws off Brilliant. when you're joining. Yep. It doesn't even have to be retaliate. There's all these contra-attack type cards right. that right. let you do more than one. So, yeah. Is, is it only protection that does that? I forget. No. Uh, aggression can do it as counterattack. And then yep. you have allies that can zap people who attack you, right? Nova, sure. Yeah, that's also protection. Protection. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's most. Uh, I think policy. it's mostly in protection, but there are other options out there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mike, in terms of theme, this uh, uh, the idea of getting stronger for every obligation in play. Um, I'm not so certain. Okay. I'm not so certain, and this might be more relevant to some of the later comics that might feature Ramatat. Okay, and just to clarify too. Each obligation in play only really means your play area, right? Correct. Your play area. So when people come to join you, then their obligations matter as well. Yep. <laughs> yes, they do. So really, if someone has dealt Kang, Ramatut, leave them alone. <laughs> like, you're on your own, dude. Unless you're obligation free. It's happening. Sure, but then you know the second you join, you're going to get like nine of them. You'll get that card that gives everyone an obligation. <laughs> <laughs> and then the guy who came to help is going to get mad at you. like. Yes, it's worth noting too, just like the scheme is static numbers, his hit points are static as well. It's 18 or 22, not per player. So if someone joins you, he doesn't suddenly gain more health. So how long are we expecting these Kangs to last, really? I'm guessing about three turns. They have toughness. Yeah, easy to take off. You were just fighting another Kang. You're not necessarily in the best of shape at this point. But you're also set up. Kind of. I often find myself in that, oh, I need to heal around this point, but there's scheme and... Yeah, if you're a dedicated justice player, you're now waiting for someone to join you if you don't have a lot of firepower. Mm, good point. Um, yeah, depends who you're playing. Depends what modular sets you have. If you're playing with Master of Time, for instance, stage two takes forever because inevitably the other Kang comes out and you have to take care of him first, or you should take care of him first, and it just slows everything down, and there's cards that put more toughness on Kang. Yeah, uh, and we'll see. He has a shield that prevents damage, uh, things along those lines. And I like how different these four stage two Kangs are. Yeah. Like, there are sometimes you get the Kang of your dreams, and sometimes you don't. <laughs> yeah. That's probably the best part of this set, that you know, it, every play is very different. Yeah, yeah, um, and not because you picked a different modular set. We'll probably talk about that next week when we have a little more time. But like, certain heroes definitely want to randomly draw certain gangs. Well, we get, we'll start in on that when we talk about the Scarlet Centurion. Musa, do you want to read Present Future War? Present Future War. This is three A, like the others, and it says. When revealed, create your own game area and place this scheme in it. Add Kang, Scarlet Centurion to the game area and deal yourself an encounter card. So it, it, we really didn't don't have to. These are all the same, the right? The A's are all the same. A, yeah. You get the appropriate Kang and you get yourself mm-hmm. a card. And then you flip. And are they all nine? The B's are all the same with the exception of like starting threat stuff. Yeah. So this one... The present future war is a nine, starts with two threat, uh, increases by one every turn. And the forced response is the same. And the, basically, yeah, the, this works exactly like the other three Bs. But the interesting part of this is the Scarlet Centurion. That's because right. It is. Scarlet Centurion has, at his base level, zero scheme and three attacks. So I think that zero scheme is counterbalanced by the starting with two yep. threat on the 3D. Yep. The expert version has scheme one and a whopping attack of four. Oof. As usual, he has temporal, he has toughness. His attacks gain piercing. Hmm. When defeated, remove the present future war from the game. At the end of the phase, join another game area. He has 18 hit points, static, and 22 in expert, which is the same as Ramatut. So definitely the strong attacker of the group probably the one that the combat or protection player wants to see and the justice player is crying. Yep. Yeah. Hulk uh, Hulk would love to 
duke it out with this dude. Yep. Not so much Ramatut. <laughs> so here's a little piece when we're in our different game areas. Since each game area is completely unique to another one, you can have multiple unique characters across the board. Oh. I could have I could have a mockingbird out, and Daniel could have a mockingbird out. What happens when we join up, Steve? One of them has to go away. And we can choose, right? Yep. To be the heroes. Yeah. Sorry, I had to say that. You know why villains are better than heroes? Because they can coexist in the same timeline and heroes can't. There you go. Hell yeah. One yeah. reason. One reason. <laughs> Clearly the best reason. Okay. Fair. So <laughs> Steve, all this all this jibber jabber of ours leads us to this this stage four. What is this all about? We we beat up our side schemes, we join up, everyone's beaten and bruised as they crawl to the end of stage three together and get to stage four. What awaits them? Well, it's Kang's wrath that awaits them. Oh, yeah. You used your enemy's technology to reunite in the present day just in time to counter Kang's assault on Earth. That's lucky. Yeah. When revealed, reveal Kang 3 and add him to the game area. Reveal each face down Kang's dominion under the stage, which hopefully all the players have been defeated or whatever, so that we, we, get to we get to see those, but probably not those cheaty heroes. Uh, we flipped to 4B which has 10 threat per player on the threshold. It starts with zero and it goes up by one per player. And it says when revealed, each player searches the encounter deck, discard pile, and set aside area for their nemesis minion and puts it into play engaged with them. Shuffle the encounter deck. Yeah. If the stage is completed, the players lose the game. It's great because some people's villains are really, really not a good matchup for them. And your friends can't help you because they're dealing with their own problems. Yeah, it's so good. So 40 is a lot. And it's only going up one per player. So let's talk about King's Dominion under the stage. What is that all about? In stage three, if Kang schemes out, yeah. then you have lost that stage. You're not defeated. You're only defeated if you're killed. Right. You, at the end of the day, will join someone else and you put one set aside King's Dominion card Face down under 4A. That's a problem you get to deal with later as your punishment. In the future. That is the future. not the future. In the future, which might be the past. But yeah. where does it say that happens? Uh, on each 3B card. The forced response, after the stage is completed, place one set aside Kang's Dominion face down under 4A. Got it. Then 4A says, reveal each face down Kang's Dominion that's underneath this stage. Mustafa, would you like to read Kang's Dominion? Kang's Dominion is a side scheme, friend. It looks like a giant sword in space. Maybe a spaceship. Who knows? A sword, a sword ship space. A sword yeah. spaceship. Everything's better and in space. And it's over a planet that seems to be on fire. I don't know. Mm. I haven't read the comics. But I'm sure it makes sense. Kang can, cannot take damage as long as the side scheme is in play. It'll be like that. It's got three threats per player. And... When defeated, deal the player who defeated this scheme an encounter card. Damn. <laughs> and a good thing yeah. about the card has got three boost icons. Everything is lovely. You know what else it has? You know what else it has? Flavor text. Yeah, come on, Moose. How did you skip that? Oh, the flavor text, of course. You were born to this role, Moose. Come on. The future belongs to Kang. To Kang! Kang. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, it's so good. Like, it's such a brutal punishment. It's awesome, especially a oh, four-player. Yeah. That's 12 threats, and you can't hit Kang, and if you have the Master of Time set, you can't hit that Kang either. And then, and then you get yeah. beat up for even, like, succeeding against it, and then it just goes back into the discard yeah. pile. Oh, It's kind of like the, the Hydra, right? Madame Hydra, Legions of Hydra? Yeah, it's sort of that idea, yeah. Similar. yeah. Similar, similar, yeah. So before we got on this tangent, Danny, you wondered at Kang's ability to reach 40 threat in four This makes game. it make a lot more sense. A little <laughs> bit more, yeah. And this one tends to have more acceleration tokens in it. Because if you didn't clean That's right, up, they all lean over. Beginning, you have more and they all appear. Yeah. Uh, I just always seem to have more acceleration at this point than in any other. For whatever reason, it seems like it burns through and you're... you're popping those acceleration tokens on four 
And then you come into four and it's like, oh, there's like three here already. How did that happen? Because um, they carry over, right? Yeah. They get stuck to two oh, yeah. and carry over. Yeah. So Now, you know what doesn't carry over? And this is a question I've seen asked a whole lot. What if I've got a bunch of attachments and status cards on Kang 1 and I kill Kang 1? What happens now that we all move on to Kang 2? And the answer is right in the rule book that comes with Kang. And it says, normally when a villain's defeated, attachments and status cards are transferred to the next villain. However, there is no next villain in the Once and Future Kang. So attachments and status cards do not mm-hmm. transfer. So you lose all that stuff that was attached to one. goes right back in the deck. Interesting. Um, okay. So you come into three, and he's fresh. Yeah. He has no attachments mm-hmm. or status cards. So if you stunned one and then you killed him, you don't get the benefit of keeping that stunned. I mean, it couldn't really work any other way, could it? So well, I guess it could, but it would be clunky and weird. Yes. So This works nicely. It's fun. All right. So we still, I mean, this is so fun. I guess this is another thing for next week, isn't it? How fun this uh, scenario is, I guess, is for next week. But I am a fan of Kang. I've only played it once with, with Mustafa, oh, live and in person. Yes. And we beat Kang readily. It was pretty easy, actually. You were cheating because you were playing the heroes. It's entirely possible we were cheating. Well, they they always cheat, don't they? It's true. Yeah. I I don't know if our explanation of this was more confusing than it really is, but if you go through the if you go through <laughs> the book, it's only seven little pages, um, and and it's pretty. It explains it pretty well, I think. Yeah, we had no problem with that rule book. Yeah, it was pretty self-explanatory. Yeah. So I have a critical encounters house rule for us. For King. Oh, okay. okay. Do tell. Okay, take a Kang's Dominion, one per player, shuffle into your encounter deck from the very, very start of the game. Oh, my God. Mm. You know I only play this with Master of Time now, and I I die a lot as it is. But you don't play it with T-Rex? Oh, yeah, I was playing it with T-Rex. I just, I don't know, I just shuffle in the Master of Time deck and haven't looked back. You should just shuffle every modular set that comes in the scenario right in. Hey, okay, here's here's another Critical Encounters house rule. Every modular set has the T-Rex card in it now. Love it. Just put it in every... Problem every solved. Encounter <laughs> Problem solved. <laughs> Done. <laughs> Done. That's a little more kind than Steve's house rule, which was punch yourself in the genitals every round. So, oh, well, this is great. I'm looking forward to next week. I'm looking forward to the story that's supposed to be more bananas than this bananas. I'm looking forward to the entire encounter set, talking about each of those cards, because it's an exciting encounter set. So, Do you know, speaking of exciting, do you know what I'm looking forward to? What's that, Moose? Are you going to read? Um... No, 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 no. I'm looking, I'm looking forward to Steve's announcement. <gasps> oh. It promises to be good. It is good. Yeah, we have an announcement. We have two contests going on as of right now to win yourself a set of the Not open one, cards. two. Two contest people. Did you hear that? But, but wait, there's more. We have those open play <laughs> cards. Not one, but two. Poor Steve. It's all right. <laughs> uh, we have the the Hulk, Strange, Captain America, Dropkick, Avengers Assemble, and Desperate Defense. Those alternate art cards from OP. We have our first contest, which is going on, but could end at any moment, depending on uh, our schedules. So you can find out on our Facebook page, our Red Skull campaign is taking place. And there's a survey out there. We're asking you what modular sets we should play against. And if you put your name and your email in there, we will enter you in to be randomly drawn for one winner to win a set of those cards, a play set. At the end of that Twitch, right? Yes. Let's do it. Let's do it live. We'll do it live at the end of the Twitch. Uh, And we haven't scheduled that yet. As of this recording, that contest is still open. The other way to to win some of these cards, we want to see the villains win. So you're playing a game, the villain wins. We want you to take a picture or screenshot of the villain beating up those heroes. Then put it up on Facebook or Twitter with the hashtag criticalencounterspod. Leave us a little description on how the villain won. Did they... You know, did they take out Captain America or did they complete their evil schemes? And then we will, we're going to collect all the names of all the people who, who do that. So you're, you're using hashtag critical encounters pod, you're posting a photo, you're telling us 
how the villain won. Put it up there on Facebook and Twitter. Now, if you're not on those platforms, you can post it to our Discord channel on the Marvel Champions Monthly Community Discord server. Or you could even send it to us in an email, which you, by now you should know how to get a hold of us with that. But make sure you include a little recap on how the villain won because we will pick two of our favorite stories, pictures, posts, whatever you want to call it. So we'll just, we're going to choose which two we think are the greatest. Uh, and then we will randomly draw from among the rest of the cards we have until all our sets are gone. We have several more, so we may have four or five total sets right. to give away, Nice, uh, depending on and, my math. And Steve, if you don't mind, for those random draws, they're, they're essentially like, you know, raffle tickets, right? So double the number of raffle tickets if Iron Man is killed in your game. Oh, wait, wait. <laughs> I was going to put the bounty in Captain America. <laughs> Bounties, awesome. All right. Uh, if okay, here here we go. If Iron Man and America both buy it in the same game, you will be entered twice into the random yes. draw. Sounds good. I like All it. Right. Is that okay, Steve? I love it. Okay. We are going to put a little bit of a stipulation at the end of this. We're looking for people in North America locations only because of shipping. But if you are overseas and you still want to enter and are willing to pay for the shipping fees, and you win, we'll happily do that for you. It's just that Rhino broke our piggy bank and took our piggy bank. So <laughs> you know, it's like 100 bucks and sent up to it. Australia. So, you know, you're on, you're on your it. own there. You broke it and took it. You all understand that, folks. Now, in our first contest, everything got mailed out, and we're still waiting on confirmation that a package made it into Saskatchewan. But uh, we know that the one for London arrived, so we're pretty good. Saskatchewan, that sounds like a metric place. Yeah. Well, folks, thanks for hanging with us. You know, maybe you have an alternate timeline persona that you'd like to share with us. Well, you can email us at criticalencounterspod at gmail.com. We are Critical Encounters on Facebook. And on Discord, we are Fardane, The Truth, Wandering Toque, and Big Foam Loaf. If you like our show, Tell your friends. If you don't like our show, tell your enemies. Mike, please take us out. Greater men than you have trembled at my name. Lesser men have fainted at its mention. Kay!